been a while since I've been here, but Welcome see if back. I remember how to do this. Father says I've never known how to do this, but you know that's not important. <laughs> so a mob brings a man to Jesus and says, This man is to be stoned for breaking the law. And a large crowd gathers around to take part. And again, Jesus, pitying the man, says the same thing we heard. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And no sooner did these words leave his mouth that a stone flew from the back of the crowd, struck the man. Jesus, perplexed, started looking into the crowd, craned his neck a bit, started squinting, and said, Mom? I think we're ready for a homily now. That's the homily. I could spend the whole time breaking it. That, here we go. So we're often told about this, these attributes of God, right? That God is somehow just and merciful. And, and somehow these ideas seem contrary. How can God be just and merciful? And so I think if we look at the gospel, we'll, we'll come to see how God is indeed just and merciful. And before we do that, I think we need a good working definition of these words, because I think we use them a lot, and I think we use them well, but I don't know if we've ever sat down and tried to suss out the word's meaning. Justice. You know, justice, and this is a good definition to take home, justice is giving to someone what's due to them. It is just to give someone what's due to them. And so the hungry person, it's just to give him the sandwich if you're not hungry. Mercy, on the other hand, mercy is to give someone what they don't deserve, to give someone what's not due to them. That's like giving release and reprieve from the one who deserves condemnation. And so we can see how God is somehow both just and merciful. The Pharisees, they bring a woman caught in the very act of adultery, and they throw this woman in front of Jesus, in front of the judge. And we need to remember that this woman is us. The woman in the story is you and I. Remember that each of us will be judged. And you know what? When we stand in front of God, I'm not going to ask him for what I deserve. I don't think any of us want what's coming to us. But I'm going to say, God, have mercy on me. I think we all want to go to God and ask for mercy. The gospel tells us that the Pharisees are putting Jesus in this no-win position. It says they're doing it to test him, to have some charge to bring against him. If Jesus says, yeah, let's stone this woman, it's just and right then all that mercy stuff he's been talking about, it seems just like just this nice idea. And it's not real. And if he brings this charge against, if he brings this stoning to this woman, then the Jewish authorities can bring Jesus to the Romans and say, look, he executed someone. And then Jesus will go to prison and he'll be executed. And the disciples will go away. And the Pharisees will get exactly what they wanted. But if Jesus says, no, no, we have to be merciful, we can't stone her, then suddenly 
They can say, look, this guy doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about God. He's disrespecting our faith. He doesn't care about Moses or the prophets. And then he can, he'll lose his followers then, and the, people, the Pharisees will get exactly what they want. Jesus is nobody again. And if anything, they'll probably stone him for that kind of disrespect. Jesus is in a tough spot. We see him. Just, he's so calm and cool. He's always in control. You notice that in John? He's just always in control. He gets up, bends down, and writes in the dirt. And we don't know exactly what he wrote, but I like the idea that he was writing the law. That he was writing the Ten Commandments. And so they keep bugging him. And in Jesus, he gets up and he says, Let the one who, among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And you would think this would stop them. But they're all holding stones. And he bent down and wrote in the dirt again. And one by one, and I love this image, one by one, each stone fell out of their hand and dropped to the ground. And I like the idea that maybe, maybe, maybe he was writing their sins. And they were thinking, God, I don't want justice for that. I want mercy. Maybe their hearts were moved. I'm reminded of the story. There's this holy man. He comes up to, uh, comes up to the gates of heaven. And uh, St. Peter's there. And the guy says, well, am I getting in? And St. Peter says, you know, let's look at the book of life. Let's see what you've done. And we'll figure it out. He opens the book. St. Peter says, look, oh, you were a catechist. That's a point. I like that. Here's another two points. You were a good father and a good husband. And he says, well, you gave a lot in alms and charity. There's another point. But you need a thousand to get in. The man's, ugh. so he goes back and he remembers the Jesus prayer, and I hope it's a prayer you take home with you. He says he cries out to God, "Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner." Saint Peter looks down at his book again and goes, "Huh, God's mercy. I wouldn't just put you over the top." And I think that's our story, right? I think we we need to be able to say the same thing: "Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me." I need help. We're sinners in need of saving. That's what Lent is reminding us. We can't do this on our own. And soon we'll get to Easter and we'll find this season reminding us that God's already done it and he's doing it now. God saves and continues to save. Let's return to the gospel. And let's watch our Lord reveal how God's mercy and God's justice come hand in hand. Our Lord asks, has no one condemned you? There's your justice. She's due condemnation. We're due condemnation. And he's the very one who can condemn her. He's without sin. And she replies, no one, sir. And with love and kindness in his eyes, he says, well, neither do I condemn you. There's your mercy. There's our mercy. The Lord loves the sinner. He's, you're too valuable to throw away, but he hates the sin. And so he says, go, and from now on do not sin anymore. He hates the sin. Why? Because the sin keeps him apart from her. He, sin keeps him apart from you. And he hates this. This isn't what's best for you. But he loves you too much to throw you away with the sin. And so here it is. What comes from this? Suddenly justice and mercy are meeting. 
And what do we have? We have peace. When mercy and justice meet, we have peace. Just like when we pray. There's a retired bishop of San Diego, Bishop Robert Brom. He said this to me once, and it's really stuck with me. And it's something I hold on to. He said, if you want peace, strive for justice. But if you want justice, you better practice mercy. Brilliant. That's it. And really, that's I think a lot of us are taught to pray like this. And that's what this says. Your left thumb is meant to be justice. And your right thumb is supposed to be folded over. And that's mercy. Mercy triumphing over justice. You're both just and merciful. And so I invite you to use that in prayer. It's really, the, this is a sign of our obedience to God. We belong to him because we're both just and merciful, just like he is. And I invite you to use this in prayer. I also invite you to return to this gospel reading often. I think it's, it's probably my favorite story in the Bible. And I, I, I've come to it again and again, and I hope you do too. And it's been, a, it's been a place of a lot of fruitful prayer for me, and I pray it is for you too. And so I invite you to reread the gospel, to fold your hands, and then use your imagination. You know, so many times I talk about how the Eucharist isn't magic and how it is grace. Well, by nature, you have an imagination, and God uses things like your imagination, the things that you like, the, things, the, the gifts that you have, your strengths. He uses that to pull you into himself, to draw you close. And so use your imagination and use the grace building on your nature. And imagine yourself in the story. And because the Mass is a prayer and because the homily, even if it has silly jokes at the beginning, is also a prayer, I ask that we do that now. What if we close our eyes and imagine the story? What if we put ourselves there? I invite you, really, close your eyes. Recall the story. What do you see? What do you smell? They're at the Mount of Olives, so what does the air taste like? How does the dirt feel between your toes? Who's there? What do all those voices sound like? Are they angry? Now imagine yourself, you're the woman. How does our Lord look into your eyes? What do his eyes look like? Does he smile at you? Does he stand over you, making you feel small, or is he standing there to protect you from the crowd? Now imagine you're Jesus. How hurt are you to see your people cry out for this woman's blood? You see all of your beloved people marred by sin. How badly do you want to hit them healed? How badly do you want them in you, with you? Go ahead and open your eyes. This is a prayer technique. This is one that's been with our church forever. And, and I ask that maybe once during this week, for five minutes, maybe you open up to John chapter 8 again. You fold your hands. Maybe you enter this story. Maybe you pick a different story. 
Maybe you have a different favorite story. But I invite you to give this a whirl. In our gospel, you noticed, I hope when you were there, you noticed our Lord extending mercy to you. Because I bet this woman, this forgiven woman, this redeemed woman, I bet she was the very first to join in this antiphon, the responsorial psalm that we sang. The Lord has done great things for me. We are filled with joy. I said in the beginning of the homily, this woman is us. We are her. And if this is true, Jesus' mercy is extending to us. And so suddenly our cry needs to be, the Lord is still doing great things for us. And I am filled with joy. Listen again to the prophet Isaiah from the first reading. The Lord who opens a way in the sea, in the path in the mighty waters, who leads us out, a powerful army, till they lie prostrate together, never to rise, snuffed out, and quenched like the wick. This is our baptism. There's a path made in the waters for us to go to heaven. And behind us, that powerful army, the one chasing us down, that's sin. And it is crushed. And it has no power over you. And if you choose it, if you can choose sin, God's mercy has power over that. You are not a slave to sin. No longer. This is what we're celebrating. Because the Lord, he still does great things for us. And we are filled with joy. And for this reason, we can join St. Paul in the second reading. Not having any righteousness of my own based on the law. What he's saying there is not, I don't have good relationship with God because of justice in my own works. He says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that's mercy. Through mercy, I have this connection to God. He says, and the power of the resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings That's baptism. That's living out the baptismal promises. By being conformed to his death, that's what we do. As Christians persecuted in the world, we're being conformed to him. You think Jesus went through hard times, so are we. And he's right there with us. He's right there with us. St. Paul concludes, If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what's happening here and now. In this time, in this place, in this gathering, we attain the resurrection from the dead in the Eucharist right here. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Christ who said, neither do I condemn you, makes himself present and says, neither do I condemn you. Because he continues to do good things. And we are filled with joy. Just as we're filled with joy, we'll be filled with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist who says, neither do I condemn you. I think you have to love how St. John starts the gospel at the Mount of Olives in the temple area. Olives, a symbol of pity. Olives, which are pressed into an oil for anointing and healing an oil used at your baptism, at your confirmation, being made whole in union with God. 
in communion, a part of his divine life. In that dance, you join in. This is profoundly important. And Jesus does this in the temple. Why? In the place where God's present, and he's present here now, and he's still doing good things. And so even during this season of Lent, let's keep celebrating in joy.